What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. All right, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 75, everybody. Nice round number. Everybody loves a good 75. Passing grade, more than passing grade. And, uh, of course, that means you can find all the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL75. Hopefully, I will get a passing grade on remembering to put all of the links that we talk about on today's episode there. Because, you know, it's pretty much pass-fail for me, and I uh, pretty much equally do both. But, hopefully, today's uh, guest will give me a passing grade on my interview skills. He is a man that many of you know of, many of you have heard of. He is the uh, host of the Freeman Beyond the Wall podcast, also the author of The Kids Are Not Alright and Freedom Through Memedom, Mr. Mance Raider. What's up, man? Oh, man, just happy to be here with you. I love your show, man. Listen every week. Ah, it's adorable. It's so cute. Now watch, he's gonna he's gonna save up a a, a real zigger. Like he's gonna stab me in the back as his last sign off. Though later on, just you no wait. fucking no way, no <laughs> way. Well, you know what? It, your timing is perfect as a guest because we had said this up a couple weeks ago. But um, you know, the first thing I wanted to talk about with you is your your book. Uh, the kids are not all right. Its primary focus and and target is socialism. So before I get into this story that is uh that has pissed me off and just caused me to have a Facebook flame war <laughs> just just yesterday, uh tell me a little bit about the book and tell me a little bit about overall your principle on how best to preach liberty and uh, and of course your other book Freedom Through Memedom is kind of hinting at this, but you know give me the breakdown. Why did you want to write the book and uh and you know what are the principles you're using to get through and, and cut through the bullshit that's out there right now? The purpose of the book was to just teach people what's going on on college campuses. Uh, you see a lot of things on the news, and it's just tidbits here and there. And you know, the liberal media is not going to, you know, give you the whole story. They're going to make it sound like you know, if 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 leftists on college campus are upset about something, it's probably because you know, ten Nazis marched on to. Yeah, marched onto the campus and started beating. Right, it's up. like if if leftists are upset about something, uh, as far as the mainstream media is concerned, it's for the the good cause. You know, they're obviously on the side of of right. Yeah, so I wrote the book to show how what's going on on college campuses that it's the professors who are teaching uh, teaching socialism, how it's manifesting itself, and how the students act and what they think how they're reacting to it on campus and off, you know, talk about Antifa groups like that. And then the most important thing to me is how it's making its way into human resources offices in some of the biggest corporations in the country and how it's coming down to affect uh, how it's affecting normal people. You know, I've taken, I work for a huge company. I've had to take these bullshit classes where, you know, you, you, you have to agree to um, call someone whatever their preferred pronoun is. And if you don't do it, you can get fired. And that kind of thing follows you. Yeah, so it's, you, you yeah. mentioned that in the book. You know, and specifically, you talked about Google and uh, and James uh, Damore, Dalmore. And uh, yeah, exactly right. That That's the thing that really stuck with me as well in one of the chapters is that point that it does follow you. I mean, it is, it is, it's like having the permanent record in school where you're suspended for looking up a girl's dress, but even more so now, because instead of just having this black mark, which maybe you'll get, uh, you know, erased after seven years, this follows you forever, especially in the age of the internet where everything's permanent. There, you know, no, no clerical error is going to absolve you of your, your sins against the left. Well, and you mentioned looking up a girl's dress. Okay. I mean, I'm, I did it when I was in school, but it's something at least you did something to get in trouble for. Right. This is <laughs> this is thought policing. You basically think differently than these people and these people are going to do whatever they can to destroy your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, it- 
you know, <laughs> people have to know about that. And especially kids, especially if a kid's thinking about going to college, uh, if a kid's already in college, that's I, I wrote my book for that, for kids who are going to college so they know what they're going to run into, kids who are already in college so they can understand what they're going through, and for parents and anyone to understand just ex- just how dangerous this is. I mean, they're preaching they're preaching an ideology that killed almost half of my family. Mm. Well, uh, tell me a little so, bit. Where's your where's your uh, where's your family from? Like, what's the background there? Well, my 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 grandmother is from my grandmother's family is from the Ukraine, and her mom escaped in 1917. You know when the revolution when the revolution started, and she left behind six sisters. And after 1933, after Holodomor. Um, they've never heard from again yeah and uh, by the way so the holodomor i i don't know how many people listening to the show will know what that is specifically because the truth i did not know what the term was and i was really interested to read about it in your book um you know so explain that a little bit you know this is basically in the ukraine in regards to famine and the whole story is fascinating too with the journalist who goes to to, to report on this so uh, it was clearly what the ukrainian utopian state so tell us a little bit about that because i guarantee i'm not the only one who lives in ignorance I'm the only well, one proud to do it, but you know, many other people probably. <laughs> it's basically, it, it, it basically stands for the starvation. It's been it can be translated a couple different ways, but in 1932, the Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union at the time, uh, they realized that they were going to have they probably were going to have a famine the following year. So they decided to rely on on, on the motherland, on Russia, um, on you know, on Moscow for for provisions. Well. Moscow didn't plan for it either. So when it came, when everything came down to how they were going to ration things out, there were some groups in the Ukraine who had already been talking about rising up against, you know, rising up against Moscow. So basically they just decided, Moscow just decided that they would just let them starve, you know, and there's figures thrown all over the place. But when you average out what most historians believe is that 7 million people in the Ukraine from 1933 to 1934 starved to death. And this, of course, is in pre-internet days and and, and pre-easy transportation days for that matter. So that you make an instance of the, a journalist who traveled there to report on it and then didn't mm-hmm. report the circumstances. And instead, and it, nothing was there was nothing there to combat the propaganda put out by the Soviet government saying that, oh, everything in the Ukraine is fantastic and it's operating like a well-oiled machine instead of a starvation uh, facility, essentially a, a statewide or a nationwide uh, starvation machine that they've created. Well, you know, every once in a while, you may uh, some people may have heard may hear the term. Um, referring referring to a reporter that they they they're pulling a Walter Durante and Walter Durante was a New York Times reporter who went to the Soviet Union uh, to report on because you know it was it was a paradise it was a utopia mm-hmm. and he went there and he found you know and what he found was that people were star- you know that people were starving to death in the Ukraine and people were starving to death in Russia as well but when he came back his ideology. He brought it. He, he brought back and reported. You know what? His heart was with the communists. Mm-hmm. So he came back and he said that there was absolutely nothing wrong. Pulitzer Prize winning, uh, winning journalist. And um, you know now to this day when when a journalist pulls one of the pulls one of those moves like you know when they when when they start reporting you know in 2011 how so many uh internet you know like vox and places like that were reporting on the the miracles of venezuela right you know i would call i would call that you know they're pulling a walter durante because even at that time when things were were a lot better than they were now they were still horrible yeah well that's and that ties perfectly into this first topic because so just uh, it was about a month ago, I think that John Oliver did this extended piece on Venezuela, and essentially it was just one of the most objectively stupid things I've ever seen in my life. And 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 you know, there's been several people that have debunked this concept that he put forth that Venezuela as a whole, and it's and it's the same argument that socialists constantly make that Venezuela is not the fault of socialism, but in truth, just the fault of the people who managed to take charge of it that have ruined it and, and, and left the socialist ideal. And he uses all these different instances where he's pulling out, you know, he says, well, they, you know, he got rid of half the people in charge here and he, and he uh, you know, changed the laws there. And, you know, this isn't true socialism. 
and what drives me absolutely up the goddamn wall with this shit is that every time we see socialism put into place, this is inevitably what happens, not only in the power play, but also just the breakdown of the economy, the nationalization of resources, the ostracization of people that actually know what they're doing in the private side of things as they nationalize the, like the gas industry and the oil industry. So it, it just, I, I posted this story on my Facebook wall, basically saying uh, socialism is murder uh, de facto. Now, granted, that's a very bold statement. I knew it when I did it, but I'm just so sick of people apologizing for socialism and explaining away any fault with it as if it's some problem with the, the mechanic and not a problem with the actual fucking machine. Well, Venezuela is, is pure socialism. Uh, what they, what, uh, what Chavez, uh, the plan he laid out was social nationalize all that. Yeah, and the thing that really pisses me off about these people is that they'll point to fucking countries like Sweden and right. Norway <laughs> and uh, and Denmark. And why are they as prosperous as they are right now? Because for a hundred years they were fr- they were more free market than we were, you know, th- than we've been in 150 years. Oh yeah. So you know, so Sweden up in, from 1850 to 1950 had one of the freest markets on the planet. They were th- they were like number two in the world as far in 1950 as far as riches. And then of course they started to institute the welfare state. And the only reason that has not collapsed right now is because they're still living off of a hundred years of free of free market oh without a doubt and 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 at the worst you could say that they have a hybrid system in place and that's right. what these people are insisting that well it's a socialist no it's not they still have an economy that's based on trade and capitalism and profit making while they certain have though they have certain apparatus that you could say are socialist applications of certain industries okay that does not make the country socialist and even then we're seeing like Sweden's a good example within Sweden, the healthcare system, you still have people that can afford to opting to do private insurance because it's still slow. It's still cumbersome and they still can't get the attention they need and the time they need it. And all of the other social programs that people advocate for, like uh, the universal basic income and uh, a variety of other programs, they're rolling those back because they have not worked. Right. Or, or yeah. And, and in Denmark, it's, you, the personal income tax is 55 percent. Yeah. And, and, you know, and people and you know, of course, you can make the argument, well, you know, they don't have to pay for health care. They don't have to pay for this. But you know, in Sweden, just look at Sweden, for example. I mean, the owner, the creator of Ikea is from Sweden. Mm-hmm. That's not a national <laughs> the sweet. The, the government of Sweden doesn't own Ikea. Right. That's when I was in, in Venezuela, America. yeah, if Ikea would have been nationalized by the Swedes and now would currently be out of business. <laughs> I mean, it, it, they just, you know, or you look at a, you look at a country like Norway, which I'm trying to look up their population right now. Oh yeah. It's, it's t- they, um, you know, they have, they have this small population and they took the, well, what would be considered their social security and they invested it in the oil industry mm-hmm. and they, it, you know, and they did really well. So, you know, people, you know, people can actually, um, you know, can actually live, but Look at this. The population, 2018 estimate, 5 million. Right. Yeah. And, five, and, and they don't million. have to deal with any number of the issues that we have. Like, for example, if you try to implement that in America, to your point, it, it simply doesn't work with the sheer scale of people. And also, they, they you, know, you don't have these, these countries over there, at least before very recent times, dealing with issues like immigration. And wasn't it just Denmark that completely closed off all immigration recently? Like one of the, one of the Scandinavian countries just completely shut down all immigration. And I know that I think it might have been, I think it actually is Sweden, um, was dealing with all sorts of issues with, uh, with immigrants that were in the country causing a lot of crime and violence and rioting because they were, they considered themselves second-class citizens as far as the way that they were treated and the benefits they were receiving. Well, they were the, – Sweden brings immigrants into the country and especially, you know, migrants, people who are escaping, the, you know, the wars of the Middle right. East. And th- they bring them in, shove them into a ghetto, mm-hmm. give them give them checks, don't expect them to learn the language. Don't, I mean, they're basically you know, – they're basically ho- – turn them into hostages. Right. You know, you throw them into a neighborhood and, you know, people say and, you know, I think Tim Poole's been over there and said, you know, white people, just, you know, the white population just doesn't go into these neighborhoods and they don't want them to go into these neighborhoods. No. So it's not like here. You know, I, I was asking I, I did I did an interview earlier and I asked, I said, how come these people can come from the same country in the Middle East and come here 
and integrate well, mm-hmm. but go there and not integrate well. Well, there has to be some. It's something. It, it has something to do with how the government and how the culture is dealing with them. And I think the culture here just is is more conducive to bringing somebody in and you know having them be able to make money immediately and be able to feel like some kind of worth, some kind of self-worth. Right. Well, think about it on the other hand, too. It's like if you've got this insanely high tax rate, even if the business is good and, and you know, it, all the indicators are that typically you can make if you have a business, you can still make money off it because they do have very low regulations, <laughs> a lot of circumstances. But with the tax rate that high, if you're an immigrant and you try to get started, my God, how I mean, how much money are they taking out of that where you're just basically stuck in a rut? I mean, and on top of that, too, this is a side point I want to make as well, is that one of the things that during this Facebook flame war, which eventually I don't know about you, but I just I have to check out at some point. You know, I'll post yeah. stuff. I'll argue back and forth a few times. And then I just go, I got I can't. I got other things to do. But they always say they go, well, what about the free health care of socialism? And like we're talking about a 55 percent tax rate. That doesn't sound free to me. That sounds like someone is getting taxed up the asshole to provide this healthcare. So I asked you, Phil, what's your definition of free? And it just like it, it, their minds were blown. It's like they couldn't understand the concept that like they're they're just going off the rails talking about well, well, what do you think is free and real freedom to do this and that? And I'm I'm just saying that you're you can't say that something comes from nothing and benefits all of humanity. There's always going to be a cost, whether that is monetary, whether that is human cost, as we see in a lot of places like, you know, like Venezuela. They don't have any money now. So it's, we're seeing all human cost go into supporting this completely corrupt socialist system in play. Well, Cuba has, you know, Cuba has free health care there and they're they I don't know what their taxation is, but I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's high at all. But I mean, it. And Michael Moore did a did a documentary about how great the healthcare system yeah, right. is there. Then how come people from around the world aren't going there? Exactly, exactly. You know, they show them the one the one uh, hospital that's not completely covered in rat feces and people bleeding out in the hallways. Yeah, I mean, I I used to live I lived in Miami for twenty years. I know. I mean, I, I had Cuba, Cuban friends that I considered family. That my family and their family were as close as regular family, and they were. They live. They grew up in Cuba. They're for you know. They're um. Yeah, they're not the children of immigrants. They are the immigrants, and they did not want to go back. The only reason they would want to go back is to try and get their family out. Yeah. But I mean, nobody, nobody is you know making turning a 1948 Ford pickup truck into a friggin' boat to escape you know, the <laughs> best health care in the world. <laughs> exactly right. Good point. But it's also, you know, it's like they, widely people ignore the stories from those people that actually are coming from these socialist countries. And, and it, Again, you know, Denmark and Sweden and Norway, all these places are not true socialists. So when you hear people come over from there and they say, oh, well, I love my country. I love the healthcare. I love all that. It's like, okay, great. Well, you're accustomed to it. And again, you're living off the largesse of capitalism that has enabled this system to be put into place. But they ignore the people that are from the countries where a hundred, you know, basically what a hundred million people is the calculation by now between communism and socialism that have been wiped out over the course of the last, you know, a hundred years. Why do they yeah. not, you know, they, the left loves to talk to people who they feel are marginalized, you know, if whether they be LGBTQ or black or Hispanic, whatever it may be, they love to pull these people out and stand them up as examples. But God forbid they talk to anybody that's, that's lived through a hardship on anything that they don't support because they just have to ignore those people and pretend that they don't exist or that they're, or again, that they suffered under a system, which, you know, with a slight tweak would just be fantastic. Well, you know, and any modern day commie will tell you that the Soviet Union wasn't real communism. It was state capitalism. (laughs) So capitalism killed all of those people. (laughs) There's a guy in Canada who um, grew up, grew up and lived as an adult under under Soviet oppression. And he goes to these um, these protests where you have these, you know, these college college student commies come out there, you know, and they're drawing chalk hammer and sickles on the floor and he'll start talking to them and asking them questions and when they realize that he grew up in the soviet union they they can't get out of there quick enough <laughs> of course you know, not they can't get out of there quick enough because what are you going to say what are you going to say to this guy you know it's well at least they I, have the I, I, option of retreat as opposed to the russians during world war ii when the soviet union didn't have enough bullets so they just shoot their own troops uh, when they tried to retreat with their empty guns <laughs> yeah 
I mean, these these kids, they're you know, and it's something, you know, I'll bring it I'll bring it back to my book mm-hmm. is they're just they're I, I was trying to explain this to someone the other day. I was saying that because you don't when I was growing up, my mom, even though I, I we grew up very poor, uh, there was a, there was a t- there was a time when my mom most of my childhood, my mom didn't work. She stayed at home. So she was there when I left for school. She was there when I got home from school. And, you know, she tried to she tried to do the best she could. And I had my dad constantly preaching against communism, against Russia, um, you know, preaching against what was going telling me about what was going on in Cuba. My uncle's doing the same thing. So basically, I was raised in this environment where now, I mean, it was a I was raised in, pay, you know, in a strongly patriotic, uh, you know, household, which mm-hmm. is something that which is something that, you know, has its own, which I think has its own problems. But the, um, you know, kids nowadays, they're both parents are both parents are working the the Internet and, um, you know, the Internet and video games and whatever are what's raising them. So I think by the time they go off to college, it's not like they have a foundation or any kind of bedrock. I think, I think they just, they have Play-Doh up there and the, and the professors can mold it in any way they can. Well, I agree completely with what you just said. And I, I, you know, you said you you listen to the show regularly, you know, I made this conjecture and, you know, backed by nothing other than than my own theory, but that because parents are working, they're checked out and parents in truth, you know, from these generations that are in place right now tend to be more self-centered in general. Anyway, it started with the boomers and it's been passed along to their children. But you do have these kids that do not have that bedrock, as you said. They're not interacting. They're not that sense of community and the sense of personal interaction isn't there. The sense of being able to address ideas and discuss concepts isn't there. And yeah, you do have them going down these either. I think they're the complete, you know, almost blank slates where they can be completely impacted when they do go to college and get exposed to a community of their peers where you're kind of immersed in that. Or as I had said earlier, I think that a lot of the violence that we see now comes directly from the style of parenting that currently exists today and this emphasis on the digital commune rather than personal interaction because you have all these different routes that you can take down the internet. You've got people that go home, they go from school where they're on their phones all the time to home where they're on the computer to the video games to whatever else. They're not interacting with friends. They're not interacting with family and thus it's so much easier for them to simply result to or react violently when it, anything challenges their ideas or challenges their state of being. And some of these kids go far beyond what we'd expect with extreme violence. He was shooting up the schools and other ones, though, turn out to be these social justice warriors where they've got this one idea that they believe in wholeheartedly and blindly. And if anyone dare challenge it, they don't have the ability to actually address it or listen to anyone else's ideas. And the only response to that is overwhelming violence, aggression, screaming, shouting, or a complete mental breakdown. Well, they don't know how, they don't know how to deal with a, an opinion that's different than theirs. When I was, when I was growing up, I grew up on the streets of New York and we, Basically, we we ripped each other all the time. We would just hang out and make fun of each other. And I mean, sometimes it would break down into fights. You know, I've been I've been punched in the mouth. I've been punched in the face. You know, I've been knocked to the floor. How many of these kids these days have have had that happen to them? You know, they're I'm I'm sorry. I mean, I I know it sounds old and I don't want to sound like a boomer because uh, because I think I think I think they're absolutely the worst generation, you know, the the absolute worst generation. But, um, you know, that really helps you to grow. When you're inter when you're interacting face to face with kids and, you know, people your own age, even people who are older and, you know, they're telling you they're telling you like, you know, how it is. And if you talk back to them, they might give you a smack. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's a good thing. I agree. You know, that's one of my the things you know, people. A lot of libertarians are fans of peaceful parenting, which I think has a lot of values that are good. But I do at the core of me think that. Just like you said, there is a benefit to knowing for a fact that there can be a physical repercussion for something that you say or do. And if you're raised in an environment where you're never, never touched, where you can say or do whatever you want, and the worst that'll happen to you is somebody says, you shouldn't say that or go to your room. Well, you're going to be pretty entitled to say whatever you want. And at some point, you're going to say the wrong fucking thing to the wrong fucking person, and it's not going to end very well for you. No, I mean, I've, 
Yeah, I mean, I think the first time I ever took a full, full-on punch to the face, I was like 12 years old, and it, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, it. I look back on it, and it helped. Yeah, you know, it wasn't. It was, and, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, and and I also, you know, and I also want to make the point. You know, it's you, you, parents don't even. <laughs> I'm have sorry, to, I was laughing. I was like, and it was Murray Rothbard. <laughs> yeah, and, and, but parents don't even have to be the ones to do this. It just if it's your peers. Right. That can help. You know, that can th- that can help you to grow getting in a fight. I mean, I I didn't want to fight when I was a kid and everything. But every time I did, you know, what's funny is when I was a kid, I got in a fight. I usually ended up being friends with that person. Yeah. Oh, I, I, all the time. I had the now same you, experience. Now yeah. you go in and shoot up. Now, now they go in and shoot up the school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it but is. And again, we weren't all. Yeah. You know, I mean, what were we on? We smoked a lot of weed and we did some drinking. Right. It wasn't these, uh, 50 these, different psychotropic drugs that these kids are prescribed these days. Yeah. I mean, it's it, who knows what the hell that stuff's doing to do. I mean, especially, you know, I've taken like Xanax as an adult and it doesn't affect me in a in a weird way. It just really makes me want to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. But I know people who it makes them almost suicidal. So what what are these drugs doing to a mind that hasn't even fully formed? I mean, some doctors believe that the mind really doesn't fully form until you're 25 years old. So you're giving these drugs, you know, Ritalin, which is basically methamphetamine. Yep. You're giving that to a 12, a 13 year old. And then you're wondering why the the kid may have behavioral problems. Well, what I think is interesting is that people are finally starting to take a little bit of a closer look at the effects these drugs are having on kids and how they're turning into, you know, psychopaths and suicidal maniacs and all those other things. But at the same time, the same people that are, are saying we have to get rid of all the guns and that's going to solve our, our children shooting up the schools problem are also the ones that are advocating giving drugs and, uh, and completely doing hormone therapy to children as young as five or six if they think that they might be a girl in a boy's body. It's absolutely insane. It's just I'm, madness. And and to voice that opinion, I mean, you look at people like Owen Benjamin, who've taken a very strong stance on it, to voice that opinion can get you completely eviscerated and to the point you make in your book, and we've all seen it, can get you completely torn down, can get people coming after you to try to get you fired from your job for voicing what is, in a sane world, a completely rational point of view that maybe we should hold on a second before we try to completely alter the chemical makeup of someone's brain and body before they even hit puberty. The kid's six years old. If the kid says he wants to stay up till 11, 11 o'clock at night, you're like, no, go to bed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're not, you, you don't allow him to make that decision or her, right. but you allow him or her to make a decision that you're going to basically stunt. You're, you're going to stunt their reproductive growth. Yeah. What, what the, what kind of, what kind of dystopian, you know, what kind of dystopian fucking horror is this? Yeah, it's, it's utter madness. So on that note, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and, uh, and do a little talk about some other uh, crazy things going on in the world. So guys, we'll be right back in just a moment with more Mance Raider. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right. Welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 75. So I am here with Mance Raider, author, podcaster, uh, shining beacon of memedom in our Liberty world. So I wanted to, you know, we just finished talking about a little bit of this Venezuela talk with John Oliver, but while we're talking about people that are in the media, prominent comedians that happen to have talk shows, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about Miss Samantha B? So I want to let, let's hit on Samantha B uh, being honored by the Television Academy 
right after she called <laughs> Ivanka Trump a feckless cunt on uh, cable television. And then talk a little Joy Reid, and then we'll wrap it up with a nice cake. How does that sound? Sounds good. <laughs> All, right. All right. So getting into this first topic. So we're just talking about John Oliver. Who, who John Oliver, I can respect him. Hey, well, every day my respect for him gets less and less. I'll, I'll say that. But yeah, least, I used to love it. I used to love the guy. I can't watch him anymore. No, I, it's just it's it's become it's almost like Colbert in that Colbert was I mean, his show was so brilliant when he was when he was being that Republican character, that GOP character. He did an incredible job being funny, but also being pretty equal as far as the sides he'd skewer. And, and the character was hilarious. Now he's just a complete shill for the left. He, you know, every day it's an anti-Trump thing. John Oliver is basically the same thing. And it's, you know, especially if you look at the Venezuela stuff, it's just the, the basest, stupidest commentary. And that's what really bugs the shit out of me is that these people, they, they're not making real arguments. They're making these dumb arguments that the left makes. And it's the guise of comedy slapping people over the head with this kind of limp dick humor, which is just what I call the, the humor of agreeability. And Samantha B is just the female version of John Oliver, essentially. It's I mean, look, I grew up in a time when stand up comedy was huge in my house. I grew up with my parents liked Red Fox and Flip Wilson, mm-hmm. Richard Pryor, you know, all the most irreverent shit. Oh, yeah. OK, I'm all for irreverent shit if it's funny. That's the thing. This, if it's this funny, is just this is just cruel. I mean, you're just being cruel. There's nothing funny about being cruel. Don Rickles. People used to say, oh, Don Rickles. You know, I, I, my grandmother couldn't stand Don Rickles because he was just <laughs> insulting everybody. But he wasn't serious. You right. know, he was just he was having fun. And but this is just it's fucking cruel. I mean, it's like, how do you. It's cruel and it's on the level of, you know, like, so this Samantha B is just, you know, like I said, just called Ivanka Trump a feckless cunt. Uh, She's being honored with an award. And this is this is days after Roseanne's show is canceled, of course, because Roseanne had the had the gall to and and granted, she should not have done this. It is definitely uh, it it harks of racism to call anybody of African-American heritage, which I don't even think she might have realized at the time. But to I, didn't call them she, I didn't know she was African American. No, I, she doesn't. She doesn't really look like it. She looks like she's, uh, you know, Muslim American. But it's and and she is. But uh, yeah, you know, right after this, Samantha Bee says, but because it's not only is it not funny and it's just cruel, but it's also when you're talking about uh, Ivanka Trump, she she's basically I think the full comment was something about pushing her tits up to talk to Daddy, which of course not only are you calling her a cunt, which in our American lexicon. Uh, is the worst thing you can call a woman. Meanwhile, in England, you could say it all you want. Uh, but also, she's insinuating that Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump are incestuous. Yeah. So well, I, I mean, <laughs> go ahead, man. Go. Ahead. Well, she's she's also she's also insinuating that sh- she would have something to do with immigration policy. And if Ivanka Trump had something to do with immigration policy, she'd be pissed off at that. Right. Exactly. She'd be like, oh, well, why does she have anything to do with uh, immigration policy? She's just she's just a daughter she's a of the rich president. white girl. I mean, yeah. She, wh- 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 why should she have an opinion? But all of a sudden she's a feckless cunt if she doesn't have an opinion. Right. And, and if she picture... did have an opinion, she'd be a feckless cunt. <laughs> exactly. You're cunted if you do and you're cunted if you don't. And the picture she's covered, it was like something on Twitter, too, of her like kissing her baby. And she's this is the thing that's triggering the left now is is the president's daughter, who has, by the way, been a very outspoken advocate for so many things that the left cares about. Yeah, I know. And yet she yet like you're saying she can't win. And on top of that, Roseanne now gets her show canceled and the Television Academy is still going to move ahead and honor uh samantha b with this award and i'm gonna click i i apologize i should have pulled this up earlier to find out what this fucking award was called but it's gonna honor her with an award just you know days after i i just the complete bias the the unforgivable blatant and transparent bias that is held within the entertainment community and just in leftists in general is just it's unforgivable like i i just i still am shaking my head i can't fucking believe it yeah i mean it's They, I mean, could you, if Roseanne wasn't pro-Trump, they probably would have forgiven her for what she said. Oh, of course. I I mean, and and, and that's, and that's the thing is there's no, I would have, 
You know, I could give the left so much more of a pass if they were still anti-war. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, those I were just, the days. Yeah, I can't, I can't even I, I can't even deal with them. I can't even think about them without getting upset because when the, I mean, they just as long as you're on their side, they give you a pass no matter what you do. Right. But, at, but as we're seeing with Joy Reid right yeah. now. But at least if they were anti-war still. You know, I could, we could get together on something, but I can't get. I mean, these people are friggin' lunatics, man. And that's and that's what I write about in my book. They're absolute lunatics. They are. I mean, think about it. college campuses. You know, in the '60s, they were anti-war and pro-free speech. Yep. College campuses now they couldn't give it. They couldn't care less about all the brown people. That Obama was uh, that Obama was bombing, and that Trump has doubled down uh, doubled down on. Yep. and they're anti free speech. If you were a college professor, the easiest thing that you could do right now is talk about the cholera outbreak in Yemen and how the United States, you know, the United States backing Saudi was mm-hmm. was was the cause of this. But no, they're worried about microaggressions and shit like that. Well, I mean. It, they, they're fucking nuts, what man. What blows my mind, too, is the fact that, you know, we all know one of the biggest complaints we have about educators is that once they're tenured, they're almost impossible to get rid of. So you know that those same people that have been at Berkeley, that were part of this rights movement, that were probably young bucks, you know those old fucking hippies are still sitting around rotting their assholes off, sitting in those lecture halls right now. So the question as I have to ask is, okay— have your politics radically changed with the left or are you just a blatant shill? I mean, are you are you adjusting just because you don't want to be able to to uh, go back and actually look at what's become of your your once precious party and your once precious ideals? And you're just willing to go along to get along now. And you're more afraid of the students than the students should be. Ever, you know, I mean, when, when I was in college. We had the freedom of speech. Obviously, I went to Penn State. You know, there was not that much fear. But now it seems like the school administrators who are supposed to be making the rules, creating rules that people are supposed to abide by, they're now in complete and utter terror of the student body. And thus, they just bow down to them. I mean, we are seeing this like with Evergreen College and uh, and Brett Weinstein, where – the president of the school holds this town hall thing with all these students just screaming at him. And none of them get fucking expelled. These kids are cornering a cornering a very progressive teacher and screaming at him. He's they're saying there's physical violence being threatened against him. None of them are expelled. Not a yeah. one. No, I mean when I when I was in school, yeah, I went I went through I went to New York uh, City public schools up until eighth grade, and then I went to private school for high school. But I remember going to public school, and these these teachers say there was a teacher who you know was meek. Uh, th- there was another teacher who was ready to step in and stop any kind of aggression. Oh yeah, you know, And nowadays, you know, they won't do they won't do anything. I mean, Evergreen is. I mean, they they literally were having kids students patrolling the campuses with like with, with you know with, with clubs and baseball bats like calling out faculty yeah it's like the fucking warriors i i mean what, faculty I mean, come out and, and then if you look and then if you look at and if you want to have some real fun look at the curriculum in that school oh i'm they're, sure it's all it's, fun, they're not they're <laughs> not learning they're not learning anything they're not it's learning just, it's just very, very different variations on gender studies over and over and over again oh even in the even in in the sciences yeah even in the hard sciences the hard sciences aren't even hard sciences there <laughs> it, no it, that's you know, we see that go by the wayside there's no such thing as uh, as reality or fact anymore it's all very subjective on your personal truth as they as the left has coined it yeah i i i man I'll, if i had a kid right now who was getting who was of age getting ready to think about college and i'd be pushing i'll pay for, i'll pay for every cent of trade school so oh, you can learn yeah. do whatever you do don't go near one of those i mean i would hope that i would you know have you know molded molded a brain that would be you know even more hardcore than me by the by this point but um you know i wouldn't i, I would do everything to keep them uh to keep them away from a college campus and if they wanted to go to a college campus this is on you buddy i ain't giving you a cent yeah exactly right man i mean it's like i i think it would have to be a very specialized thing like if my kid's like i just want to be a neurosurgeon dad i'd be like well i 
I guess right, I can't yeah. get around that one. All right, I, I suppose. But yeah, otherwise, you're going to a trade school. And honestly, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that are around my age. Like I'm right about 38 now, living in L.A., which, you know, we, we have kids a lot later than everybody else because of the goddamn taxes and expensive living here, which has skyrocketed. But Ooh. a lot of my friends are starting to have kids. And, you know, we're talking about this stuff and everybody's kind of on the same board, whether they're progressive or uh, or leaning towards the right or libertarian, hard to find a righty, so libertarian or left. But um, same thing, you know, it's just like the value's not there. And and the more you see so many of these, these states, like New York State is pushing through this community college for everybody, you say, what a colossal waste of money. Not only are you going to have kids just go and drop out after a semester or two to go pursue a trade school or to go do something else anyway, because not everybody's meant for fucking college. But you're also just degrading what it means to get a college degree. So you're just going to like the issue of student debt, which the left loves to cry about. Forget that it's already backed by the government, which is half the problem. But then we get into the fact that just when you have this emphasis on education and you're telling everybody you have to go to it, you're, you're basically just evening out the marketplace so that now that's the new high school degree. So what's the goddamn point of it? Yeah. And you're charging and you're forcing a kid to go into debt for the next 30 years right. now because you're giving away free money. And I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Exactly. It, now, it, I mean, it's remarkable. The good news at least is that I've seen places like uh, in uh, Missouri, in uh, Evergreen and a few other, of these places where it's actually been blown up. You know, these, I know Evergreen for a fact, this has happened, but you were seeing enrollment completely bottom out at these schools, Good. which is awesome. Good. So there you go. The free market, at least, at least in this respect, is getting a win for us. It's a loss for them, and it's a huge win for the free market and for sanity, and that makes me very happy. Yeah, that works for me. <laughs> All right, so let's see. Uh, well, let's let's wrap it up. I mean, I was going to talk a little bit about Joy Reid just because well, I'll do it real quick. So Joy Reid, of course, she has this blog that was back in the day, and it was you know, some stupid name blog she just, she just wrote on. And it was forgotten. She shut it down once she became a big star. And, and it was archived, though, where people could access these Internet archives. The Wayback Machine, I think it's called. So people dug up these old posts of hers, which were very much anti-gay, questioning uh, whether or not 9-11 was an inside job. All sorts of uh, anti-gay and anti-Muslim views. So they were brought to the surface. And, of course, Joy Reid first claims that she was hacked. <laughs> just, just such a dumb, a dumb excuse. But, you know, it's like the, the thing people just always default to. But now is actually admitted that she did write them. And as we are seeing, and as you stated earlier, when you are on the left side, there is no criticism. It's just it is just whisper quiet. MSNBC won't address it. No one on the left is attacking Joy Reid and tearing her apart. It's, I mean, it truly is incredible. The suit of armor, impenetrable armor that you put on when you become a leftist. She's not smart. Her writing is horrible. And she's, she, she's basically just regurgitating whatever they tell her to. That is exactly I mean, right. She, she is not, I mean, we're not talking about a thinker here. You know, we're not talking about somebody who we're not talking about somebody who could actually sit down and write their own book, you know, write, you know, decide I got to write on this topic. Now, she's going to have 12 or 13 staffers write a book for her. And oh, she yeah. and she's I mean, this is not I mean, the, the the majority of these people, I mean, some of them, I mean, obviously someone like Maddow. I mean, she went I think she went to. um she went to Oxford. Yeah. So obviously she's a, yeah, obviously she has a brain in her head. She, she has a brain. She just doesn't have a, a heart yeah. or any sort of journalistic integrity. Correct. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, at least she could sit down and write. I mean, Joy Reid is reading off of a teleprompter. She's reading what they, what oh, they, yeah. I mean, she's, I mean, it's, it, it, yeah. I mean, th these are just, these are, these are not people. These are not people who should be leading thought. You know, they, they shouldn't be in, they shouldn't be influencing thought because they don't have a they don't have an original thought in their head. No, it's just so, use the epitome of useful idiots. And it's it's you know buying into this, uh, I guess what you'd call it a 
the empiricism of or the the American empire of media, which essentially we all know that you know, so many of these companies and corporations are traced back to like the Foreign Relations Council yeah. uh, or the Council <laughs> on Foreign Relations. There are so many people that sit on the high level boards or have high level positions in all of these media companies that just basically you can see the trickle down effect it has where they are dictating the stories that come out, how they get covered. Some of them may be a little bit more right leaning. Uh, most of them are left leaning. But, you know, between, there's like three different organizations that kind of control the narrative in all these different different factions and yeah joy reads just the latest in line well she'll she's a a happy parrot i talk about it in the book i I remind people msnbc was a cheerleader for the for the iraq invasion oh yeah they were i mean they're all of them were cnn the new york times the new york times was one of the biggest cheerleaders one of the one of the said clearly put out articles that there were WMDs in Iraq. I mean, they're being they're they're being controlled by somebody. I mean, it, to, to say they're being controlled by somebody is to be, you know, it sounds conspiratorial. But I mean, these people are not writing. These people aren't don't have free um, don't don't have um don't have the ability to just go out there and write whatever they want. It has to go through an editorial board. Oh, yeah. um, it's being a lot of it's being written for them, especially when you get into the media and you get into the T, uh, the TV media or the radio media, oh, yeah. um, you know, print media, uh, print is going through, is, is going through multiple edits. Um, you know, and, and nowadays, you know, it's not even print media. It's, it's, they need clicks. Right. So and, you, well, and it's could, not even original. Like that, the, the biggest issue I see today with the way journalism is handled, too, is that and this has been uh, I was talking to a, a journalist recently about this who who's complaining the same way is that you not only have people that are not cross checking the facts, they don't have any journalistic integrity to actually delve deep and find out what the truth is. But because of the fast paced way in which news rolls out now, typically you'll have one source break news and then all the other people that are on the news side, they will jump on that one story and re-report the same news rather than actually delving in to find out whether it's true or not or do their own story. So to your point, it's clicks. They say, we've got to get on it now. So we're going to repurpose this story and republish it, citing this one source. So you have one source which can easily be proven false within the next few days, but the damage is already done. The scenarios and the narratives are already out there and good luck fixing it once it's there. Yeah. Do you do you at all want to talk about um about the Supreme Court decision from yesterday? I do. Well, let's talk about it right now. We'll we'll end yeah. on this. So yeah, this okay. is the Masterpiece Bake Shop Limited versus the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. And uh the owner Jake Phillips, who had received to he, he refused to sell a wedding cake to a gay couple. Now, uh apparently he has no problem selling cakes in general to gay people. And and there was another similar circumstance with two women who owned a bakery and had a large gay uh you know, gay patronage and were sued to the tune of 185 or they were awarded $185,000 in a separate case, which destroyed the business. Yeah. That was in Portland. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. So I, there you I go. write about, I write about it in the book. Okay, perfect. So they, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So they, yeah, this, this, this masterpiece bake shop thing, people are saying, you know, the people on the left are saying, Oh my God, what an assault on, uh, on LGBTQ rights. And uh, people on the right are, are cheering it as a victory for religious freedom. But from what I can tell, reading multiple, uh, different reports and analysis of it, this has really been jack shit that came down to almost a technicality, although an important one in the way the case was argued. So what's your take on it? And then I'll, uh, I'll weigh in with mine. Yeah. I mean, the, it, it looks like they just want to try and kick it back to the state and they, they don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but I, this is, this is my thing about this. I, I've been, I'm on social media every day. I mean, you've seen my, you've seen my Twitter timeline. I, yeah, I, I spend, I, way have, too much, I have seen it. Yeah. There's way too <laughs> much. I spend way too much fucking time on that thing. Um, but when you look at tariffs, when you look at net neutrality, when you look at all of the stuff, this issue, there is more cognitive dissonance on this issue than anything, because basically what these people think is these people think that this guy should be forced. Basically, this gay couple should be forced to give money to this bigot. I mean, that's right. what yeah, they're talking that... about. They're saying they're, 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 saying, they're basically saying you got to force this. You, you have to you have to give this big this bigot has to accept their money. All right. OK, but, you know. What I want to bring it back to is I want to bring it back to my ideology. 
Yeah, a lot of people th- a lot of people call me an anarchist, call me a libertarian, anarcho-capitalist. When it comes right down to it, I'm a voluntarist. Mm-hmm. I believe that all interaction in this life should be voluntary. And this case is a perfect example for me to talk about voluntarism is that there is no if I as a consumer can choose which cake shop I want to use that owner should be able to choose what customers they want to deal with. It's a pri- it's also a private property issue until when he bakes that cake, that cake belongs to him up until the point where there is an exchange and it's his private property. And if you, your private property, you should not be forced to do, to, to, The government should not be telling somebody what they need to do with their private property. If I bake a cake and I decide that I want to put rainbows and all this shit all over it, and then I decide I want to drop it on the floor and destroy it instead of sell it to two people, I should be able to do that. Right. And if you called it art, then you could really get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, that that's what this I looked at this case. I was like and I tweeted this out. I said, if you ever want to explain volunteerism, because I had people arguing with me all day yesterday. I was like, look, you cannot force another human being to interact with another human being. You're basically saying that a Jewish baker should be able to if if a Nazi comes in, the the Jewish baker should be able to uh, be forced to bake a cake that has swastikas on it and all this, or a or a halal restaurant should be forced to make bacon and serve it to whomever whoever wants it. Right? No. Yeah. No. No. It is it no. is the exact same, and people seem that they can't wrap around it. And like you said, the cognitive dissonance is clearly on display because you know, I mean, those are those are very good examples. Uh, the fact that you can simply say, well, he should have to do it because this is something that we consider to be a universal right now. And, and let's not forget that this was not considered uh, a universal right as, soon, as early as 10 years ago. But now, suddenly in the last 10 years, now this this right trumps religious freedom. It trumps private property rights. And like you said, it's just the basic the basic premise that you are in control of your own work. And, you know, it's like anything. If you are going to say that somebody has to do it, they are essentially a slave. Now, you can say they're being compensated, but slaves were compensated arguably by providing them food and shelter for their labor. If you can force somebody to do something at your will and they have no say in it, you are basically making them into a slave. And that is what this this is effectively arguing. And what drives me, I mean, especially crazy, though, is that people don't understand the, you know, just the broader spectrum of these kind of things. And also that in this day and age, this legislation is completely unnecessary. I mean, I could say, yes, I'm all for obviously gay rights. I'm all for the gay marriage, you know, I'm, libertarians have always been for gay marriage but the fact that people can't say can't or excuse me can't see that you know i completely lost my train of thought there (laughs) (laughs) go ahead take your time all right hold on wait a minute let me go a step back (laughs) oh so that people can't see that this is far easily solved with just social media with yelp with all these other platforms that have been Mm -hmm. invented purely for the sole reason of letting people know if somebody's a cocksucker in regards to their business why do we need any of this? Just blow them out of the water on social media. I'm sure it'll have far more of a result. And to your point, why do you want you're gonna you're gonna have your wedding with this guy's fucking hate cake? Yeah, why I mean, do you want it? Who knows what this guy's done to the cake? I told I right. told someone on social media yesterday. I said, you know, she was taught it was it was a female, and she's like, well, what if I live in a small town and there's only one mechanic, and that mechanic doesn't want to do, deal with me? I'm like, in my in in my history from running businesses, if somebody doesn't want to deal with you, you need to do some self examination. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I'll tell you, I and, and this is exactly what I told her. Life is too long to deal with assholes, and I have had to fire customers before. Oh yeah. And I don't feel bad about it. No, nor should you. And that's you know that is voluntarism. You have that choice. It's your life, it's your work product, it's your business, it's your whatever to lead the life as you choose. And while it might be inconvenient to somebody, 
an inconvenience is not a reason to get the law involved to destroy someone's career and livelihood uh, and grandstand so that everybody can see it. And, you know, just, I mean, fuck those two guys. I just, fuck those two guys. Yeah. I, absolutely it just ridiculous. And yeah the guy should just bake, bake them a cardboard cake and then charge them seventeen thousand dollars for it at this point all right what are they gonna do they can't back out of it <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah well yeah they still would have got you know but i mean the, the one in portland was actually worse because i mean they had to come out of pocket a hundred and thirty thousand oh, dollars yeah it destroyed the business i mean that's why i picked that one the colorado one was much more fa- was much more famous yeah. but um the one in portland i mean and then i talked about the uh the, the people did you the, mention the burrito chicks yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that story oh my god man when that yeah. went down i because i you know it's like i visited portland but portland's another one of those weird cities where it's like portland it's so you know it's like oh we've got strip clubs everywhere and you can drink and uh, it's like the most strip clubs in, in any city in the world but how dare you try to open a burrito restaurant here it's just like they're the the moral what what is what is outrageous than morally? And by the way, I am totally fine with strip clubs, but it just is such an odd uh, dissonance to me where you go, okay, so you're, you know, you're totally fine with somebody uh, serving booze and, and arguably objectifying quote unquote women, which I would argue is in fact empowerment. Uh, but meanwhile, if two women, two female entrepreneurs, which you think you would support female entrepreneurship wanted to have their own take, you know, using Mexican recipes that they learned. Uh, you're calling it cultural appropriation, which of course is how ideas, concepts, free trade, et cetera, have spread throughout the decades. And you're going to shut them down. You're going mean, to just, holy shit. They, I, I don't even think they, they, they referred to it as cultural. Pro- I, I think they referred to it as colonizing. Like the, oh. like they were colonizing their recipes because they had gone <laughs> on vacation in Mexico and had um had asked a bunch of burrito vendors for different recipes and they you know gathered together the which, recipes. Which the burrito vendors and gave them voluntarily, yes, correct? So yes. they didn't like, they didn't fucking hold guns up to their heads and be like, "Give me all of your burrito recipes." It's like the strip clubs you're talking about. It is any or any are there any strip clubs? And maybe there are strip clubs in the United States where girls are being forced to dance and you know, dance naked. But I mean, I've never been in one. Not that I've ever been in one. No, um, of course not. Never. <laughs> <laughs> not without my mask on, my trusty Tonto mask. <laughs> yeah, but it's like so. So just circling back real quick on this because there is one the one thing which, like you said, they kind of punted it back to the states and. And the one issue I want to address in this is the the reason they were able to weigh on, in on the Baker side is that Colorado apparently said that as a vendor within the state, he was not allowed to reject their claim on the basis of religion, basically saying that because the state, which is supposed to be have nothing to do with religion, uh, was operating and licensed his business that somehow – you had to be an a- I mean, this is the logic, as far as I can tell, in the state of Colorado, that basically you have to be atheist to own and operate a business within the state of Colorado. So the Supreme Court rightly said that's fucking retarded and uh, and and pushed it back. But yeah, they didn't address the actual issue of free speech or freedom of religion or private property rights or anything, <laughs> anything along those lines in their decision. You realize in the span of like 10 or 15 years, Colorado has gone from one of the coolest places to live to like one of the most SJW. Yeah. I mean, ridden. I mean, I mean, Seattle's the same way, man. Seattle and Colorado are, and, and, you know, in Washington, I guess the state, but Seattle's the worst of the worst. Yeah. They both just gone to hell in a handbasket. Well, I mean, California. I mean, 45 years ago, California was, I mean, gay people couldn't become teachers in San Francisco. Wow. I mean, Colorado was I mean, uh, California was a I mean, was a I mean, Ronald Reagan was governor. Yeah. Oh, and and Schwarzenegger was governor here. I mean, just think about that. And I'm not and I'm not saying I'm not saying that that was a good thing back then. I think it was absolutely a horrible thing. (laughs) Um, But you can you, you can actually straddle the middle sometimes instead of going all the way in one direction. You know, I mean, nobody wants to straddle the middle because, you know, I live my whole life trying to straddle the middle, trying to just live my life, um, live my life, life peaceful as po- peacefully as possible and try to be as consistent as possible. But it's really hard 
And I do not think that people, you know, I, I constantly have to learn more. I constantly have to read. I constantly have to examine myself. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to do that anymore. No, no, of course not. It's too lazy to do it. No one wants to challenge any any of their own ideas, uh, first and foremost. And it, it's uh, it, because to challenge your own ideas might might mean that you were possibly wrong at one point in time. And of course, that's unforgivable. Yeah, I, I've been I was I've been wrong 10 times today. So. <laughs> the most recent uh, instance of being wrong was the the idea to come on this podcast. No, uh, absolutely. dude, man, you know, I love your podcast. Well, hey, I got one question for you to end this. And sure. that is. Uh, the name Mance Raider, where this is clearly taken from Game of Thrones, right? Right. Okay. So why that character? Cause I'm trying to remember why I'm trying to, I'm trying to like think back and remember. Cause I uh, clearly I'm like this. Okay. This is a pen name. <laughs> right. So why, well, why that name? He was called the King beyond the wall, which the, the name of my, the name of my podcast is free man beyond the wall. Um, he was, He's basically the king of the free people, the people that don't want to didn't want to have anything to do with the society, didn't want to have anything to do with the crown. So they went beyond the wall and they formed their own society. And basically, it's a very anarchic uh, and anarchist society. Um, The only reason they call him the king is because every once in a while, the tribes might want to fight with each other. And he's able to the mediator. Yeah, he's able to mediate and he's able to say, look, you know, we 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 all basically share the same belief system. Let's not fight amongst each other. We have much bigger things to worry about on the other side of that wall. So I just I I think you know especially in the books. I mean in the TV show, uh, Mance's sort of um, I, I wouldn't say he's you know been gelded or anything like that. But mm-hmm. um, it's not not as powerful a character as in the book. But um, in the books, but you know, he just he's the the kind of character and i basically what was is i came up with the idea of the name of the podcast first free man beyond the wall Mm -hmm. and i knew i didn't want to use my real name because i i'm not too much to lose (laughs) yeah working i I like the job i'm at right now right yeah i'm i'm working my way to try and get out you know to not need that job anymore um as a content creator as a writer things like that um but while I'm doing that, I'm going to protect myself as best I can because, I mean, look at – I mean, we live in an age of doxing and all sorts of just craziness and everything. And also, my wife is very active on social media. She has a podcast, she, and I, I don't want um, – I, I, I didn't want to re- – anybody to be able to relate her to me. Yeah, no, I understand. I mean, I, look, I yeah. do PR for a living, as you know, and I, I you know, there's always that. I, I, I also worry about that slightly, but eh, I figure I, I do PR. I can spin my way out of it if anything goes haywire. <laughs> but you know, you know, it's funny though. I like now I, I'll get like, um, I'll get correspondence in my legal name. Mm-hmm. And I will look at my legal name like I don't know what it is <laughs> <laughs> because it's like I've literally become. I mean, I, it's getting to the point where I may even have to legally change my name. Uh, so you're writing like, not at address yeah. at all your envelopes. Oh, you just yeah. write not at address at all your bills. Oh, you just figured out a great way to get out of your <laughs> I, bills, man. I, I'm I'm serious. I like I I have I have stuff delivered to my home address in my name in, <laughs> in the name Mance Raiders. So, you know, it's um. You know, it's just basically, you know, and and what's funny is that, you know, not everybody, not everybody watches or read Game of Thrones and everything. So it's like when people I have people all the time go, that's not your real name. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, how? (laughs) <laughs> like, have you ever heard the name Mance? No, Anywhere, it's know? like it, the uh, my honest. Uh, I always want to say Rance because of Rance Howard, but well, yeah. uh, and one of my best friends growing up was named Rance, so it's like oh, yeah, so it's funny. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you know what, uh, Mance Raider. Thank you, whoever you are, man of mystery, for uh, for joining us on the podcast today. Can I say? Can I say something? Um, sure. The book. The books are on Amazon, but I've. I've become very passionate about cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and on my website, freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash store. I have a store on there. Both of the books are on there and you can buy either of the books or both of the books and only for cryptocurrency on my website. So if you want to use Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash, um, dash, um, XMR, and, 
Litecoin, Ethereum, um, please. I would actually at this point, I would rather people would um, use cryptocurrency. And I encourage anybody out there who is an Internet vendor, please do cryptocurrency as an option. Yes. And you can donate to the Lions of Liberty podcast in cryptocurrency as well, guys. So don't forget that that is also an option for us, although it's hard to pick which one nowadays. So just go with good old fashioned Bitcoin. <laughs> yep. I mean, it, 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 we, we won't even start a war about, you know, what's, uh, you know, which, which cryptocurrency to use. But um, as long as you're using some kind of crypto, as long as you're using some kind of cryptocurrency, um, any information, you know, you're, you're going to give me your mailing information. It's going to be destroyed after, you know, it's going to be destroyed immediately after I, um, after I make a label and send you tracking information. You know, I'm not going to keep your, this is going to be totally private. And that's what cryptocurrency was, um, what was created for in the first place. So there you go. All right. Well, guys, uh, to remind you again, you can listen to Mance's podcast, Freeman Beyond the Wall. Uh, you can see his porno movie with Mark Wahlberg called Freeman Beyond the Wahlberg. And also read his books, author of The Kids Are Not Alright and Freedom Through Memedom. So, uh, yeah, once again, man, great having you on here. And, and by the way, I want to give a, a quick shout out at the end of the show to uh, James Schumacher. He's a listener to our show He's got a fantastic audio company, guys. So I want to re remind you to uh, check out Vertigo Entertainment, vertigo-entertainment.org. He did an awesome job recording the speeches that Mark and I gave at the Libertarian Los Angeles Libertarian Convention we were asked to speak. So uh, quick shout out for James. Good man. Otherwise, guys, thanks to Mance. Remind everybody out there, support our show, buy our stuff, uh, and a reminder that we are now on Patreon. So if you do want to support the show, go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash support and make sure to sign up on Patreon. If you guys are still on Podbean, switch over, please. We would love it. So from me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to Liberty. <laughs>